Well, so good to worship with you, the 11 o'clock service. Are y'all brunched up and ready to go? You're, the 9.15, they were a little sleepy this morning. They're, they got to get some more chocolate into them, I know. How many of you bought a box of treats uh, for, you know, the kids coming on Tuesday and you have to go and replenish it because someone's already been nibbling in the box? Anybody? Anybody? That's you? Oh, that's good. Have you ever found yourself wishing that you could have a fresh start or a do-over in life? Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, I just wish I could go back to bed and start the day over? Maybe you had one of those moments and like your work day was going kind of like some of these guys in this video. Take a look. When was the last time that you were faced with a new beginning, a fresh start? You know, we all experience new beginnings throughout our lives, whether it's changing schools or moving cities, maybe you're starting a new job or a new relationship or the ending of an old one brought you to a place of a fresh start. You know, so many seasons that we find ourselves facing new beginnings. Now, some of those fresh starts, they're by our choice, right? They're intentional decisions that we made to pursue them. You know, maybe there's an opportunity in front of us that we wanted to pursue. Uh, or maybe there's a season of failure or disappointment behind us that we wanted to leave in the past. You know, some fresh starts, they come as a result of, of life circumstances and decisions beyond our control. You know, maybe they're not always uh, welcomed or wanted. Some of the fresh starts of our lives come as a result of what we would consider God altering the script of our lives. As we're following him and following his leading, he's leading us in a new path or a new journey. Now, I don't know about you, but I had multiple seasons throughout my life where I look at it and it almost seemed like my life was a snow globe. If you ever had a snow globe, what do you do with a snow globe, right? You pick it up, you turn it upside down and you give it a big shake and then you put it down to see where all the stuff settles, right? Have you ever experienced that where you felt like your life was one big snow globe. Maybe it was being shaken or maybe you're just kind of waiting to see how all the pieces would settle and fit together. You know, sometimes it's exciting. It can be exciting to face a new beginning and at the same time, it can also be unsettling. But every new beginning, I believe, holds the potential for us to experience the presence and power of God in a special and significant way. If there's anything I've discovered about God through reading this scripture is that God is the God of fresh starts and new beginnings. If you experience that in your life, let me hear you say amen. amen. It's gonna be interactive. You gotta be with me, right? Uh, whether it's by God's design or by their own choices or by life circumstances outside of their control, the Bible is filled with stories of people who found themselves at the place of a new beginning moment. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Abraham. We talked about how God said, go to the land that I will show you. In the Old Testament, we see Ruth, who's grieving the loss of her husband. And in that moment, she turns to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and says, your family is my family. Your people are my people. I am starting over afresh with you. We see David, the, you know, who would soon be king, but we see him being the, the youngest of a family and kind of pigeonholed into a certain role of what it meant to be the youngest. And we see him emerging from that typecast role and we see him stepping out into his calling and leading as he stands before Goliath and as he courageously uh, declares God's goodness and might. We see Esther and her uncle Mordecai who believed in that moment as the Jews were being oppressed that they were born for such a time as this. And there's a new moment and a fresh beginning for them. We see Peter 
We love Peter, don't we? Because he had so many moments of false starts and failures. But we see him on the day of Pentecost boldly proclaiming the good news and gospel of Jesus and 3,000 people responding. And then we see Paul whose life is so drastically changed that his life is, we call it the Damascus Road experience. Even to this day, we acknowledge the fresh start, a new beginning in Paul's life. And so this morning, whether your new beginning has you excited or unsettled, I want to encourage you today that God is a God of fresh starts and new beginnings. You know, we started a series a couple of weeks ago that we're calling Altars. And we've been looking at some of the moments of our lives that God wants to mark with memories of his power, his presence, and his promises. And we talked about how we celebrate those moments of his faithfulness, blessing, and provision. And throughout this series, uh, we've been looking at the different scriptures uh, that revolve around the building of an actual altar. We, we saw in week one that Abraham built an altar of covenant. And that covenant was God saying, as I have been with you, I will be with you. Last week we saw Joshua and the nation of Israel as they were crossing that Jordan River in a miraculous moment that they built an altar of celebration. And we talked about this idea that celebration becomes your motivation to continue uh, and it also becomes someone else's inspiration that someone has gone this way before them. And so when we celebrate, we are reminding ourselves, we're borrowing courage from that moment and we're using it to face whatever lies ahead. But today I want to encourage you, if you would, to turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at another altar moment. And this morning we're going to look at the altar of new beginning. The altar of new beginnings. And I want to make this proposition to you. I want to say this. It says, when you find your life altered, make an altar. When you find your life altered, make a, turn to your neighbor and say that. When you find your life altered, make an altar. Genesis tells us a story of the beginning of human history. It talks about how it all began, but more importantly, it talks about with whom it began. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Throughout chapter 1, we see how God spoke a word and light penetrated the darkness. We see how galaxies are formed and earth and the planets are set into orbit. We see the stars hung in place. We see how God proceeds to fill the earth with vegetation and populate it with wildlife. And then his crowning jewel, we see that God makes humanity, man and woman, made in his image. Genesis 1.31 tells us how God looked over all that he created. And he says this. He says, it is very good. It's very good. God loves his creation. And his handiwork is very good. But then we get to Genesis 6. How quickly things go wrong. I don't know if you have children. If you have children, this kind of this little thing where you just kind of go, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> I think this is one of those moments where God is saying, this is why we can't have Nice things. By the time we get to Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Now looking at creation, God's heart is broken. But why is it broken? It's broken at the selfishness and the sinfulness of people who are using and abusing each other. 
People have completely lost the script on God and his ways and the centrality of his place in their lives. And the result, verse 11 and 12 says, is widespread corruption and violence. And it broke his heart. You know, we often think about sin being that disconnect between us and God. But what we see here is that what breaks God's heart is the violence that we do to each other. Breaks his heart to see his creation using and abusing each other in this way. Verse 7 says this, And then the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Now, I know you came to church to be encouraged this morning. But how many know things are bad when God wants to do over but then we come to verse 8, and it says, But Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. In a sea of sinfulness and in a culture of corruption, Scripture states that there was one man and his family going against the flow. They're not superheroes. They weren't super spiritual. It just simply says there was a normal man who walked in close relationship with God. This morning, you don't need to be super spiritual. I don't even know what that means. This morning, we need to be walking in close relationship with God, and that's enough. And so God lays out his plan. He tells Noah to build a, a boat big enough to house his family. And to have pairs of every kind of animal and species and that the ark would be a place of refuge from the storm and the flood that he was going to use to reset the earth. Scripture says that Noah spent decades building the ark. Theologians think it would probably be about 70 years or so until God directs him to board the ship with his family and he, then he miraculously leads the animals to get on board. I don't, we've heard this expression like herding cats, right? I don't know how God gets the animals on the ark, but in a miracle, he does. And once they're safely aboard, scripture says that for 40 days and 40 nights, coupled with water rising from the depths of the earth, it proceeds to erase the world as God knew, as Noah knew it. And then for the next year or so, Noah and his family, his wife and three sons and their wives waited for the waters to recede. Can we just, they all say right off the bat, like, this is a crazy story. Like, this is a wild story. You know, there's a lot of things about this story that are really hard to explain. Like, how did Noah keep the carnivorous animals away from the rabbits? Like, I don't know. Uh, like, you know? And uh, where did Noah keep the termites? Like, where on this wooden ship would you put termites? <laughs> I hope it was above sea level, you know? I wonder, you know, I get thinking about this. You gotta think logically as you're reading scripture, right? But I'm wondering, like, were Noah and his family ever tempted to eliminate the mosquitoes? Like, come on, God, I know you said, but like, come on, right? You mean accidentally, like, oops, like, oh, shoot, you know, like, oh, like. And then my biggest question is, what do they do with all the poop? I don't know. Our family has one dog, and that dog, you know, it's just a daily process. So I don't know what they did. It can be tempting to try and explain the story of Noah as an allegory. It can be tempting for us to want to say, you know what, this is just a story meant to convey a deeper meaning or a parable. 
It could be tempting for us to think of this as ancient folklore. You know, that it's implausible aside from divine intervention. But how many know as Christian believers who believe that God spoke the world into existence, we believe in the plausibility of divine intervention, right? And it's tempting to explain this story away, but I want to encourage us today that Jesus believed in this story as fact. He talks about it in Matthew 24. So did the apostle Peter uh, in 1 Peter 3. They reference this story as fact. And so today we can put our trust and our hope in this story. But putting the logistical details aside, it seems even harder to explain and understand and reconcile the character of our loving, good, merciful, and sovereign God with this incredibly tragic story, isn't it? We look at this story and, and we think about the cute nursery decorations and the children's picture book Bibles. And we love that, right? We love to see the animals popping their heads out the windows of the ark. And, but when we read the account in scripture, it's actually horrific if you think of its implications. It's the story of God's judgment on sin. And it's the story of humanity's hardness of heart to turn from sin. Now, before we get thinking that God's justice is unfair and unmerited, for the record, 1 Peter 3 tells us that God waited patiently during the time of building the ark for people to come to repentance. But next to the cross, this story is one of the most graphic and intense accounts of God's judgment against sin. And just like the cross, it's also one of the most powerful displays of God's grace that God would deliberately orchestrate a plan of rescue and of refuge for all who would listen and respond. It's a story how God patiently and kindly dealt with even just one man who would walk close to him. In the midst of one of the most graphic displays of God's righteous judgment, we see, as we always do, the more powerful display of God's grace. And so when we're tempted, uh, or we're reminded again that God is the God of fresh starts, and new beginnings. Genesis 8 verse 1 says this, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. But God remembered Noah. Now I don't know about you, but there have been significant moments and circumstances in my life where I've wondered, God, where are you? God, it seems in this moment, I, I want to know what you're up to and what you're saying because it certainly doesn't seem like you're with me or speaking to me. And I'm wondering, where are you in the midst of what I'm going through? Have you ever felt that in your life? Can I encourage you with this today, that feeling abandoned and alone is not something new for the people of God? If you're in this place and you've ever felt that as a Christian, it's not because you've done anything wrong. In fact, more and more people would say I've had moments, heroes of the faith, people like Martin Luther, Mother Teresa, C.S. Lewis, they talk about enduring what has been known as the dark night of the soul, that feeling like God is distant, he's far from you. Have you ever experienced that? The psalmist David, he wrote about it in Psalm 13. He said, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? How long will you look the other way? Jesus, on the cross, felt the sting of abandonment. He says in Matthew 27, My father, my father, why have you abandoned me? But how you feel isn't always what's real, is it? 
The dark night of the soul doesn't mean that God is distant. He's there. I love this quote that I read once that said, sometimes the teacher is silent during the test. And so we have these moments. And so I imagine Noah and his family, they endure this experience and we can't sanitize it and make it all cute for the nursery, you know, like we like the children's Bible. It's a traumatic experience. You know, you've heard of the storm of the century. This is the storm of all time, the storm of history that Noah and his family endure. It's traumatic. 40 days and 40 nights and then a year waiting for the floods to recede. Outside as the floodwaters rose, I wonder if Noah and his family could hear the cries and screams of their friends and neighbors who in the last moment are crying out for salvation and rescue from the floodwaters and then the eerie silence as the cries and screams stopped. It's eerie, I know. We don't like to think about it. Huddled inside the ark as they were losing everything they'd ever known, Noah and his family were clinging to hope. They were clinging to hope that God who had provided a place of refuge would also provide a plan of rescue. And then in verse one it says, but God remembered Noah. Now remember here isn't like God forgot. Like it's not like, oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna recreate the earth, I'm gonna repopulate it. Oh my goodness, I forgot Noah on the boat. Oh shoot, you know, like it's not like when you make a coffee and you're like three hours later, you're like, oh I forgot I made a coffee. You know, it's not like he forgot. Forget here is not about recall. It's about paying attention to. It's about focusing on fulfilling a previously agreed upon commitment. When I say I remembered my promise to you, doesn't mean I forgot it. It just means I'm focusing on fulfilling it. And so God turns his attention to Noah, who has just literally endured the worst storm of his life. And he says, Noah, let's start over again together. I don't know what kind of storm you're enduring or how you've gone through, but I want to encourage you this morning that God is saying to you, let's start over together. Maybe it's not a moment that you're going through right now, but maybe it's a moment you've been through, or maybe there's something coming down in the near future, and you're gonna find yourself in that place, and God's gonna say, let's start over together. You come to verse 15, and it says, then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry on the ground, so that they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives left the boat, and all the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat, pair by pair. Noah and his family find themselves facing a fresh start, but it wasn't just a fresh start for their family. It was a new beginning for all of humanity. And then verse 20 says this. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. The Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. Friends, what do you do when your life's been altered? You make an altar. Turn to your neighbor and say, when your life's been altered, build an altar. If you don't know your neighbor, you're going to get to know them really well by the end of this morning. Here's the thing. 
We've been talking about in this series that altars aren't necessarily the monuments made of wood and stone like we see in the Old Testament, places where heaven meets earth, but there are spaces that we carve out in our lives and places we make in our hearts for the presence of God. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit didn't reside on earth. There was this interaction between heaven and earth that would take place at the altar, would take place in the temple. And But we see now that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, we now have that open heaven that we connect with God, and that place of the altar isn't necessarily a place we go to, but a space in our lives, and a place where we carve out uh, opportunity for God to speak to us. As altars of New Testament believers, it's less about the place we find ourselves in than the posture that we take. Now, some of us, we have physical reminders. We have altar-ish moments, reminders of what God has done. I know Pastor Holly in her office, she has a, a, one of those sand timers in a significant moment of her life where she was praying and leading, uh, looking for God's direction. God gave her this image and spoke to her about uh, time. And, that, and so she has this timer that reminds her. It's a monument or a marker of something God did significantly in her life. There's physical reminders, but more than a place or a, a, a space, it's about the posture of our hearts. Noah built an altar at this place of new beginnings. And so what can we learn about Noah and his posture as he built this altar? Well, he had a posture of listening. See, even before he built the physical altar, Noah was already demonstrating this. In verse 15, it says, Then God said to Noah, In seasons of new beginnings, I believe it's important for us to be listening because God is always speaking. He's always working. And he's always doing something in the moment if we're tuned in to what he's saying. Now, whether we're excited about our fresh start or unsettled by it, God wants to bring clarity and direction to our life if we'll listen. Right? When your moment is shaken, when your life is shaken, right? How many know is disorienting? Right? When you're at a fresh start in a new place, it can be disorienting to even know what's up and down. Right? We can be disoriented, but God wants us not to lose perspective on what's going on. And that's what happens when we're tempted to react to our circumstances in those new beginnings, right? We want to react to what's happening around us, but instead we need to listen for and respond to the voice of God. How does this play out for Noah? See, God tells Noah to leave the boat. It's hard to know what Noah's thinking in this moment. I don't really know, but it's possible that he was thinking he didn't want to leave. He didn't know what was lying ahead of him as he opened those doors. He didn't know what awaited him. He didn't know what he was going to step into. If you think about it, this ark had represented to him a place of safety and familiarity in the midst of all of this chaos and change. The ark was his place of refuge for the past year. So it's tempting to stay there. Sometimes we resist new beginnings because we want to cling to the things of the past. right? We want to cling to what God did last when God's trying to bring us into a season, a new beginning. On the other hand, it's possible that Noah was ready to get off the boat before God wanted him to. Right? You just think about cabin fever. You've been cooped up with your, with your wife and your sons and your daughter-in-laws for over a year. You might be wanting some personal time, right? Some personal time. And they, all that poop, like, get me out of here. I've had enough. It's possible that Noah wanted to jump ship. Sometimes in new beginnings, we're tempted to try to make our own plan and set our own course. But whether Noah wanted to jump ship too early or he wanted to stay there too long, it says the issue really is, comes down to an issue of trust, doesn't it? 
comes down to saying, do we really believe that God is good and merciful and faithful and sovereign? And do we really believe that God remembers us and that he'll speak to us and lead to us when the time is right? I want to encourage you today that God is speaking. Are you listening? Are you trusting? You know, when we think about hearing God's voice, we often think about the promptings of our spirit, especially as modern Christians. We think about, you know, the leading of the Holy Spirit, whether it's just like a thought or a mind, you know, something. I, I've loved hearing stories. And I thank you for all the pastor appreciation notes and gifts throughout this whole month of October. Thank you on behalf of our whole staff. We've loved, you know, some gift cards to coffee. And, but, but you know what's really blessed me a lot the last little weeks is, is I've heard stories. People have sent me a little message. This is how the sermon or this is what God's doing in my life. And, and the Bible talks about the kingdom of God being like a seed sown. And I just love the stories I've heard throughout our church of, of, that, of the kingdom popping up in all these different places. I love hearing how one lady in our church, she said a couple months ago you talked about when you can't sleep at night, sometimes God wants to speak to you. And she told me how she got up in the night and went down to her porch and she began to worship and just pray in that moment. Then all of a sudden these words started coming out of her mouth. And she said, I, thought I, was, I think I started speaking in tongues, right? She said, I don't even know what that is, but it happened to me, right? God did something in her life. Another person was telling me that they were harboring this bitterness there were some issues going on that they were just really resentful about and the, you know, a need that they saw that wasn't being fulfilled. And in a moment of a service like this, they told me that God almost spoke audibly to them and said, you need to be the answer to your prayer. And so they took a faith step, an action step, and they started to initiate the answer to their frustration. They were like so joyful, saying, God has just released me from my bitterness. I had so much joy responding in that moment. So many great things. And so I believe God reveals his unrevealed will to us through this Holy Spirit, whether it's a word of prophecy or uh, you just kind of know it in your knower, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and leads you. I believe in all of that. But I also think before we, we want to know God's unrevealed will, we need to know his revealed will. Did you know that the Bible is about 800,000 words that God has already spoken? And so before we say, God, what do you want to say next? We should say, God, what have you already said? We need to make that the place we start with. When we find ourselves in a place of new beginnings, we need to say, God, what have you already said? Who are you? What is your plan and purpose so that I can reveal your unrevealed will and I'll know if it's you? And seasons of fresh starts and new beginnings take a posture of listening. Second posture is a posture of sacrifice. Noah gets off the ark and he builds this altar and the first thing he does is he sacrifices animals on this altar. Leviticus explains the sacrificial system if you're interested in that. But to clarify, we often think about animals going two by two onto the ark. Uh, as we read it, we actually see that it's two by two, except for the edible animals and the animals that are used for sacrifice. And those animals went on in pairs of seven, seven pairs. And so there is more of them on the ark now, if you're Noah and God's given you the task of replenishing the earth and multiplying to refill it, it doesn't make any sense right off the bat to like sacrifice one-seventh of your animals, does it? It's not too bright. How many know sometimes when you are following God, it seems counterproductive what God's asking you to do when you think about the goal? It's counterproductive to see what God's asking you to let go of. The altar is a place of sacrifice. 
And it's a place where we come with open hands and we say, God, whatever I have and all that I have is yours. That's what the altar is. It's a place where we say, God, I believe that you are the one who supplies all my needs, that you will supply all the needs that I'm going to have in the future, that you can do more with what I have than I can do in my own strength. Sometimes in times of new beginnings, it feels like we're grieving things that we've left behind in the last season. You know, especially the things we didn't leave behind, we didn't want to leave behind, or the things that have been taken from us involuntarily. You know, for, like, just for a small example, like coming here, I love being your pastor. I love Penticton. It's a great place to be. I love here. But when I left my old friends and my old church, and I came here, I was excited for what God had next. But there were some grieving, some things that I left behind. Right? We don't always just leave behind things that are next. Sometimes we grieve the things. But here's the thing. You can't experience God's blessing when you have clenched fists and closed hearts. We have to come to the altar and say, God, I give it to you to experience his blessing. We need to let go of what we're grieving so that we can truly experience God's leading in our life. See, when we take this posture of sacrifice, we're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with what I've left behind. God, I trust you with what I have. I trust you with what I'm gonna need in this next season. God, you're my source. You're all that I need. And seasons of fresh starts and new beginnings, make an altar and take the posture of sacrifice. God, right from the very get-go, it's about you. I think some of us we think even about Noah in this place, and I was talking to someone after the first service this morning. You know, he's given this task to repopulate the earth and multiply and be fruitful, you know? And, uh, and, and I think that it's possible for us to want to get busy, start hustling, to get working, right? As when, we, when we think about this, but Noah takes this posture of worship, as they get off the ark and they, they disembark, they're commissioned with the greatest task of all of human history. Aside from Adam and Eve, their task is to start over, multiply, refurnish the earth. Like pitter-patter, let's get at her. How many of you love to know what's next and you just want to get working on it, right? You're always going, you're the energizer bunny. That's Pastor Holly, she's got the list, she knows what's next, and, you know, and she just loves to go, loves to, to get her done, right? There's always more to do. Right, but Noah's first instinct isn't to get busy. It's not to pitter patter, let's get out, to get hustling. The altar of new beginnings is about listening, it's about sacrificing, but most importantly, it's about setting God first in your moment of fresh start. He builds an altar and he worships. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. What are some practical ways this looks like? Maybe you're starting a new job or a new career. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. And you just know to get this business up and going, I gotta work 24-7 to get this going. But how many know the Bible talks about Sabbath and rest and the priority of God in my life? I love Chick-fil-A. Anyone know a Chick-fil-A restaurant? I love Chick-fil-A. I know it's an American chain. It's coming to Canada. It's slowly spreading from... The East, as you like to say. Ontario is spreading out this way. Eventually, it'll get here. 
Just for a reference, Ontario is like pretty central in Canada. It's not really east for people that live. Anyways, that's a whole other thing. But this is what is frustrating and I love about Chick-fil-A is that they're closed on Sunday. Every day I'm like, oh, I could go for Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, oh, it's Sunday, right? But as a business model, it doesn't make sense that they would close one day a week. Even in the airport, even in wherever they are, even in the mall, they close one day a week because they said as a business model, as believers in Jesus, we trust God that he can do more in six days with our business than we can do in seven. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and you're like, I just need to grind, I need to work, I just need to hustle. I want you to know this morning, God is saying you still need to create space and trust me. That's what tithing is about. Tithing is about saying, you know what, God, I believe that you can do more with 90% of my life than I can do with 100. As you're a new believer, you're like, these people give 10% uh, you know, or more to the kingdom of God. I know it's mind-boggling. I know it doesn't make any sense. And we can talk more about that later. But this is what I found. God does more with 90 than I can do with 100. And when I come to him and I have this act of worship, God, right from the very start, the Bible talks about first fruits. That's what I tithe. Right from the very start, God, I'm just giving to you and I'm trusting you. I'm seeking you first and trusting that all and everything else I need will be added to me. Instead of getting busy and working and hustling, Noah has a posture of worship. What is worship? Worship is recognition. He's saying right at the very start of the season, God, right before we even get into it, I just want to start by declaring your goodness and your faithfulness. I want to declare, Lord, that you're leading me and guiding me. You're my provider. He, worship is gratitude. God, what do I have that you haven't already given me? Right? Even the strength I have and the air I breathe, it's all from you. I couldn't do anything without you. I want to worship you in this moment. And then worship becomes a soundtrack of his life. I don't know, have you ever been on a cruise ship? I was on a cruise ship one time. And if you haven't, it's, it's fun, you should go. Maybe we should do a cruise with Jerry, right? A Bethel, a Bethel Church cruise, that would be fun one day, I don't know. Bethel in the Bahamas, you know, that would be fun. Yeah. But I was on this cruise ship and they had the weirdest thing, they called it a silent party. And it was a room like this with about this many people in it. And you could go into this room and you could listen to different soundtracks. You could get headphones on and you could listen to whatever you wanted to listen to and it would be different from the other people in the room. And then the object of the thing was just kind of like you could go and find the people that were listening to the same track as you. And how would you know? It's like you could tell by how they were moving, right? You could tell, are they on the same vibe that I'm on, right? Are they listening to the same thing that I'm listening to? How many know that in a culture that's contrary to the kingdom of God, that this world is listening to something different than the track and the soundtrack of our lives? And when we're worshiping, we start out worshiping, we're saying, God, I'm setting my mind to the things of God. And as I do that, what I'm listening to drowns out fear. What I'm listening to, worship drowns out uh, negativity or distraction. Worship drowns out doubt because it's saying, God, first and foremost, I'm putting you in the place of priority in my life. And I'm focusing and fixing my eyes on you. As I worship you, and I take that posture of worship, it changes my life. So Noah and his family built this altar of new beginnings. They take this posture of listening, of sacrifice, and of worship. And it says that God is pleased and that he makes a covenant with them and with all humanity that never again would he flood the earth. And he seals this covenant with the promise we all know so well, that rainbow 
But this morning, I wanted to encourage you with this. Whether you're excited about the fresh start you're facing or whether you're starting over reluctantly, God is the God of fresh starts and new beginnings. Maybe it's something you've gone through, you can testify to. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now, someone this morning, they're saying, Pastor Chair, this is exactly what I needed to hear. Maybe this is coming up, you don't know it yet, but in weeks or months or a year, this is gonna be something you're gonna walk through. God is the God of new beginnings. Maybe you've been part of Bethel for a little while now and you've experienced that transformation of that. You've experienced a transformation of new life, a new beginning spiritually. And how can you mark that moment? How can you build an altar? Well, one of the really tangible ways is I would just encourage you, if you haven't been water baptized yet, and that's kind of one of those altar moments where you say, hey, I'm just signifying what God's done in my life. On November 12th, we're having our next water baptism service. And you could go to the Welcome Center in the lobby. There's a little card there that talks about it. You could sign up, hand that in today. But there's an ultimate fresh start and a new beginning that we all need to have walked through. In just a few verses, we'll see that the fresh start for Noah and his family wouldn't eliminate the sin in humanity's heart. Noah wasn't perfect, and the world's propensity towards sin would continue. But the ark was a foreshadowing of what would come. The ark was a place of refuge for one family, for one generation, but God has a plan of rescue and refuge for all generations and all nations. Contrary to what we might believe, we see that God made the world that he started over, and still continues to have a sin problem. I want you to know that this isn't God on plan B or plan C. That God is still on plan A. Because what we see is that in spite of all this, God had prophesied his plan in the Garden of Eden when he said to that serpent, he said, there will be a man born of a woman who will crush your head and you will bite his heel. We see that prophesied again in Isaiah and then again at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That long before the flood, Jesus had predicted that through the lineage of the righteous, that through Noah and his family, through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, God will be providing a plan of rescue and refuge for all of humanity. God provides a place of new beginning for all of us today. And if you haven't had that fresh start in your life, today would be a great day to experience it. This morning is personal. God remembers you. He sees you. And he's compelling you to respond to his invitation. Maybe you came in today and you said, I'm here because I need a fresh start. Well, today's your day. Today's your day. Brett's gonna lead us in worship and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna pray together in just a moment. Would you stand all across this place? This morning, I just wanna simply ask you this. Is there anyone this morning you would say, you know what, Pastor, I need that fresh start. I need it today. I need to start over. I need to renew. Maybe I'm making that decision for the first time. Maybe the first time in a long time. You would just raise your hand and say, that's me today. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Love the words that song said, we are anointed and blessed for the glory of your name. It's to our benefit, but it's to your glory. 
And so God, as we leave this place, I pray your presence would go with us. God, that you would remind us that you see us and hear us, that you would speak to us and lead us, God, whether we are in the place of new beginning, God, or whether there's a, a fresh start waiting us down the road in some aspect of our lives, I pray however we encounter it, God, we would have that posture, the posture of listening, the posture of sacrifice, the posture of worship, so that we can go into that season, Lord, fully embraced by your love and grace. God, as we leave this place, would you go with us? Would you help us to be refreshing to the people we encounter today? God, for all the people who are about to come this afternoon, we pray, Lord God, you would do something significant in their life and bless this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray.